G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. Esther chapter 2, second chapter. It's a banger. All right. This is what we're thinking about today. In the confusion of choice, in the distress of your disappointments, in those learning moments of life where you've realized your decisions have been less than ideal, what do you tell yourself? Where do you go? What hope is there? Esther chapter 2 frames for us three characters and their choices, their questionable choices. And today we'll see how their lives are research for our lives, research for us to make better choices, choices, ones without regret and hurting ourselves and others. And for us to know that we don't have to remain in the regret of silly choices. I'm so glad to see some heavy Bibles out there today. Ones without a battery, but with a different type of power. Pages, keep them open as we're in Esther chapter 2. Context so far, last week we heard Esther chapter 1. We heard of this great King Xerxes throwing himself a massive party and then... Everything didn't quite go as well as he wanted it to, did he? His wife, he's like, get in here, Vashti. I want to parade you in front of all of my mates. And then Vashti's like, no. So King Xerxes, he's just like, cracks the sads like a little brat. And he's just like, well, new edict in my kingdom. Vashti, you don't want to come in and see me? You can never come in and see me ever again. And he's just like, I'm going to make a law. All wives have to be like my wife. They have to submit and obey their husbands and everything that I do and say. And there's some pretty crazy stuff in there. And if you're just like, what did you, what, what's going on there? Listen to last week's sermon. It's on YouTube. Basically, Jesus is the better king and he doesn't do that to us. Okay? Jesus is awesome. All right? That's, no Jesus, make Jesus no. It's on the sign. So now we're in Esther chapter 2. And old King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes, Greek, that's a Greek version. It's easier for me to say. It's only two syllables. King Xerxes, he's now had some time to think about his decision, hasn't he? That's how chapter, Esther chapter 2 opens up. King Xerxes, what's it say? King Ahasuerus, after these things, when the anger of the king Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. King, he's lonely, he's regretful, and he's bored. Xerxes, he's the richest man on earth and he's lonely and he's depressed. Where does this king go for counsel to find comfort in his regret for his past action? Well, this king, he goes and does what he does best and he goes to his wise men. Or the text actually tells us this week, the king goes to his young men. Hot tip, don't go to young guys to sort your problems out because what ends up happening, their counsel is... You do you. You do you, King Ahasuerus. You do you, Xerxes. Just look deep down in your heart. 
What is it that you need right now? Oh, boys, need some companionship, need some entertainment, and I have some lust that has got an itch that needs to scratch. When the king is alone and bored, he seeks to find pleasure where? In the things of creation, not the creator. Remember this, King Xerxes? In this land, we're behind enemy lines. We get appearing into the throne room of this kingdom of Persia. This isn't a God-fearing country. This is just do your own thing whenever you want, however you want. And Xerxes is this model character of what we would do if we had it all. If we're on the throne, if we're on the boss and we didn't have God leading us. What does Xerxes do? He goes to his counselors. Where do you go when you regret a decision? Where do you go when you're bored? Where do you go when you want some entertainment? You go to your husband, go to your wife, go to your partner. You go to a friend. Do you find a paid counsellor? Do you go to an online chat room or comment thread? Where do you go to find some affirmation or some direction? King Xerxes seeks to solve his problem by listening to people that tell him to go deeper into the passion of Xerxes. An encouragement, he gets an encouragement to look deep inside yourself. Just go deep inside yourself. Just follow your heart. That's a problem. We see the result of the recommendation. Xerxes seeks comfort over character. Xerxes makes a mess rather than making amends. Xerxes opts for indulgence rather than repentance. Now, before we judge Xerxes, he's just doing what we all do when we forget about God, isn't he? We see what Xerxes does. He goes and finds the ladies. He sends the guys out, brings them in so we can have a look. Try before you buy. Oh, Xerxes is terrible. Men, how are you doing this through the medium of your phone? Xerxes could have used God's strategy for counsel. Xerxes, rather than following what he thought to be good, he could have done what God, who is good, does. Where does God go for counsel in those times? Where does God go? God, when he needs counsel, God goes to God. Doesn't he? Creation of the world, God says, let us make man in our image. Little picture, little self-conversation there. When God sends Isaiah to the preaching of the people, he says, whom? Will I send? Who will go for us? Counsels himself. And then we have the greatest picture of God's divine counsel even within himself. We look at Jesus, the great God-man, who says, I will do the will of my Father. He says, who great Jesus, the great God-man who prays. Jesus, who is God and models to us a constant desperate dependence on God's counsel and God's way at all times. Where do you go for your counsel? Where do you go for advice? Where do you go for recommendation for living? Are you going to God first? Oh, I couldn't do that. Jesus literally put on flesh, descended down to earth, lived a life to model to us what human livings to look like. They wrote it down. It's still being published. It's verified. It's authenticated. It's good. And it's here. You can download it for free. We can go to Jesus. 
Amen. Thank you, Chester. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. And I think if we need counsel, let us first go where God goes. Go to God. Go to prayer. In a culture with an undercurrent of self, look to him who made you and let him give you direction. This is not what Xerxes does. In the confusion of choice, in the distress of a disappointment, Xerxes' choice represents his culture. He doesn't make seeking God a priority. The one true God is not getting any consideration. Xerxes' choice reflects the culture that he's in. It can be hard to live in a place that, uh, where there is that culture, isn't it? We live in the Great Down Under, questionable history, founding, questionable way of doing things. Is our culture one that models to us in our work and in our homes and in our schools that, you know what, when we reflect and we think of how we do life, let's just take this to prayer. That's not on the TV shows. That's not being modelled in any Netflix series. That's super countercultural. It can be hard and we'll make mistakes. Now we've got our next two characters in this history epic to show us their life in Xerxes' culture, which is not so dissimilar to ours. Who are they? Let's introduce the first character, Mordecai. Mordecai. And Esther. Now we know that's important because her name's on the, on the sign. You know, the graphics team was like, Esther, it's the name of the book. You know, it's important, Esther, so we pay attention. Let's chat about these guys, Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai and Esther. What do you think about Mordecai and Esther? Well, let's have a look at the story. We know King Xerxes, we heard in our reading, he's bored and he goes to his counsellors, his young men. He's like, guys, I'm bored. Vashi was just great to have around, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. She had some skills. So what are we going to do? And the boys are just like, well, King, you could, um, you could do what we saw. I was watching the show last night, you know, that trashy, trashy TV show. King's just like, oh, you mean like Survivor? So it's like, no, 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 not Survivor. That other trashy TV show. You mean, um, you know, they get the people there, it's reality TV, and they're always like sort of battling it out. You know, it's just like, oh, you mean The Block? It's like, no, 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 that other trashy TV show. It's just like, oh, which one's that? Uh, um, the Voice? No, 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 no. Okay, hold on. King Xerxes, you need to do what we just saw on the TV. It's called The Bachelor. We could do The Bachelor of Persia, yeah? Let's go get them. Let's go get all the hot chicks. Let's go get them all. We'll round them up. We'll do it for you. We would take this upon ourselves, King Xerxes. We would love to be paid to go and round up all the ladies, all the single ladies, yeah? We'll do that for you. And uh, you can pick. You can, we'll, we'll, we'll give them like Chris Hemsworth, personal trainer for a year. We'll get them fired up. We'll give them the best cosmetics. We'll send them down to Maya with like a $1,000 voucher for like the beauty section. You know, they can be like super trendy. What do you reckon? King's like, it's not a bad idea, young man. That has never been done before in the history of Persia and how to pick a wife, but I like the way that you think because I'm now thinking in the wrong way. Let's go do that, the young men say. And so the young men go out and who they find? They find Esther and Mordecai introduced to these two guys. Now, their, their job, all of these girls' job, they get brought in, okay? 
Their job is to be selected and then they're going to impress the king. They're going to perform for the king. They're going to please the king. And if they do that, they get to stay with the king. The royal honor of being with the king in the palace of the king. Come on, do all of this stuff. Do it right. Do it well. And then you get the access to the kingdom. Now, side note, before I dive into Esther, just notice this dynamic in the book of in Esther chapter 2. What's the dynamic? The story right now for these young women to be in the presence of the king, to find, find acceptance is what? Do, 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 perform, perform, perform. This is religion. This is Hinduism, Buddhism, Muslims, Sikhs, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the morons. Do, 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 be pleasing, be a performer, and maybe you'll get God. Wear the right clothes, give the right amount, sing the right songs. Do, 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 do. And maybe you'll get acceptance to the king if you please him. In this trend, this is so deeply ingrained in human behavior, we've all inherited it. And the devil will keep whispering to you and guilting you along in living life. This, friends, is the absolute polar opposite to the message of the Bible and what Jesus did, okay? Hear that? Just nothing else from Esther 2, just this little bit, okay? Do, 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 do. The Bible describes the love of God, a relationship with God, and the good news of Jesus Christ as done. The world will declare... If you want peace, joy, light, and life, do, and now maybe. God would declare, if you want love, peace, joy, light, and love, done, and now come to me. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the hope we have in planting churches. This is the message that we take to our friends and our families and to our co-workers and to our kids. And it's just like, it's not about earn and deserve. It's about believe and receive. Like, this is the best news ever. Are you serious, Jesus? Are you just coming along to me and being like, yep, I see how screwed up you are. And I just, I really love you. And um, uh, I see the debt paid in full, okay? I've got a massive bank account, so don't stress. I'll, you know, I see there's, there's dirt, there's guilt. I'll clean that all the way. You don't have to worry. Uh, and we stand back like, what, what do we need to do? So it's like, well, just, like, do you believe that I can do that for you? Like, do you believe that I've got, like, that I'm God and I can sacrifice in this way? And we were like, ah, uh, yes, uh, great, come home. Side note over. Just take the gospel home. Put that in your pocket and let it live close to your heart. King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus, same guy. He's about uh, he's finding the ladies, and they are going to select, be selected. They need to impress him, perform for him, please him, and then they might get to be with him. Now we've got these next two characters, Esther and Mordecai. We're going to learn a lot from these two guys. We're going to learn from these guys about when you've realised that your decisions have been less than ideal. Mordecai, backstory. There was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shemel, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, important context. Keep that in your 
keep your finger in that bit for following weeks. He had been uh, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Big context phrase there. What's going on? Mordecai and Esther are in Persia because God's people have basically been overcome and uh, defeated by the Babylonians, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, drew them out, and now they're, they're just like, well, we're just prisoners now, I guess. I guess we're just in Babylon, just being prisoners. They're just trying to totally force us into their culture. They're trying to assimilate us. And then King Darius, a little bit later on, comes, the Persians come along, and they defeat King Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, this is our house now. We're taken over. And then, King, the, 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 then the Persians are like, well, we don't need to assimilate with our culture. We just want to accumulate into our culture. Yeah? We just want you to be a part of it. We've heard you got a God. He did some stuff in the book of Exodus. We've been reading about that. Part of the Big Red Sea. Pharaoh had a pretty bad time with you guys. So maybe you're worth having around, you, you know, God's covenant people. Mordecai and Esther are still in Persia. Mordecai has adopted Esther. She's an orphan, okay, which is like massive hint, right? Like anyone that's an orphan in any big story, like they're a boss. Like they're going to do some big, Batman was an orphan, you know, Cinderella, Superman, all orphans. So, you know, Esther's got some big stuff to do. She's got nothing to lose. Mordecai and Esther. He adopts Esther and they're living in Persia. Now, this leaves us a lot of questions. Still, why are you still in Persia, Mordecai? Why are you still there? The timeline for the book of Esther is that the temple has already been rebuilt in Jerusalem by Ezra. Have you not heard Mordecai and Esther? Like, what's going on, guys? Like, seriously, why are you still here? I know you've been reading the prophecy of Jeremiah, which is like, seek the welfare of the city, but you don't have to be in the city anymore. There's other prophecies in the book of Isaiah. This is like, if you get a chance to go back, go back. Like, don't you know, like the temple that's now been rebuilt, that's where God's people meet him in this time of history. Like this is, why are you still in Persia? Are you a sellout, Mordecai? Are you scared, Mordecai? I don't know. I don't know. It leaves us with a lot of questions. Or maybe Mordecai, maybe he's got really good motives. Maybe he's just like, you know what? I'm going to stay in Persia. I'm going to live it big. I'm going to become king. And then, uh, and then we're going to take over this place, you know, Double agent style. Mordecai, he's, a, he's like the SAS of God's covenant people, just doing Mordecai things with Esther. So it's like, I've got my right hand, woman. So it's like, let's do this, Esther. Maybe that's what's going on. Can we say? Nope. Can't say. Is it good? Are they doing good things? Are they doing bad things? Is it right or wrong that they're still there? Guess what? The text doesn't tell us. Doesn't tell us. Still questionable, right? Because we read on. Mordecai and Esther, they participate in the king's bachelor search, don't they? This leaves us with more questions. Like, what are you doing, Mordecai? I'm going to adopt the daughter. I'm going to look after her. Hello, um, we're looking for some young virgins to come and um, impress the king. Ha ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And if she does a good job, she could be queen. Yeah. You know, if the king lights his tribe before he buys, could go really well for you guys. What's going on there? Were they scared? Were they forced into this position? Was there like some sneaky stuff going on in the background? Like Mordecai, sit down, grab a latte. All right, Esther, there's been this opportunity that's come across our table in the land of Persia. Okay, we could do the whole double agent thing. You know how I've been watching 24 reruns? We could do that. You and me, like we could go in and Esther's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. What about God's 
Oh, no, that'll be fine. Oh, is what they're doing, is it good? Is it bad? We don't know. The text doesn't say. It just provides commentary. We know Esther could have said no. Vashti said no. Mordecai and Esther, they participate in the king's bachelor search. And then also, more questions, moral ambiguity. Esther wins. Esther has a night with the king and she comes out on top. Don't pause for too long. She wins. She wins. Like this is not like oh, I gave the king a really nice massage. This was, I'm going to chat to the eunuch before I go in and be like, read between the lines, so eunuch, what's the king into? What kept Vashti around? I'll play this game. Is that what's going on? Or maybe there's just some, you know, there's, what's going on there? What's, what's going on with Esther? Was she forced into this position? Is this like some sort of fierce, you know, terrible adultery? I mean, in today's standards, absolutely it is. But in the king of like Persia right there, what's going on? Like, we don't know. The text doesn't say. But at least we should be asking at this point, like, what is going on here? Like here in this story, have Esther and Mordecai sold out? Like from their actions, like obviously you trace this up with God. They have broken many of God's laws. But was it intentional? Was it ignorant? Was it for survival? Was it for a great lifestyle? We don't know. The text doesn't say. The narrator gives no hint as to the motivation. It only gives information. What do we do with this moral ambiguity? What are we to make of this absence of comment as to their, as to their Godward commitment? Well, side note again, Bible reading skill moment, okay? I tell you what we don't do, okay? We don't make a decisive call, all right? We can't, all right? We, this sermon isn't about, like, you know, how to strategically, you know, win friends and influence people through participating in The Bachelor, this sermon isn't about how you can like find the gray in God's law so that you can achieve God's great purposes. You know, this is not what this sermon is. You know, we, we don't want to make a decisive call and teach what the Bible isn't clearly teaching. See, ideally, you don't do theology through absence of information. So, side note, you know, don't let what is obscure determine desirable behavior in the life of the Christian. Like, you know, there's some people that'll say, if it's not forbidden, then it's totally up for grabs. Like, that's, that's not an ideal way of doing first order theology, okay? There's a lot of churches that'll be like, if you're with us, you got to do this and this and this and this. And th Hold on. Where's the library of books for the stuff that we have to do? Well, how do you come up? Well, there's this one verse here that kind of hints at doing this this way. And so we do it exactly like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? If it's, not, if it's not clear, don't make it a thing of certainty. There are a lot of, unfortunately, there are a lot of hills that Christians especially die on that aren't worth dying on. You need to let love and grace abound. What is it Augustine said? I'm going to get this wrong. In things that are clear, Kirby, help me out. 
In things essential, there must be unity. Things non-essential, diversity, and in all things, charity. Thank you. All right, Kirby, you get a cut for my pay on the sermon today. All right. I don't know what a good percentage is. We'll do the we'll time up the minutes and then we'll figure that out. We'll get our um, centralized accountant to figure that one out. Anyway, in your Christian journey, when a new thing comes across your path, whether it be a YouTube clip, a pastor, your mum, your dad, me, okay, even me, like if you're just like, oh, that's interesting, this call on my life to, to live in this way in following Jesus, be like the Bereans, talks about in Acts 17, examine the scriptures every day to see if it's true. Read 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into this world. Many false prophets have gone out into this world. Many false prophets have gone out into this world. And they have very successful church communities as well. 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In, we don't do theology, ideally, through absence of information. You're not going to make a decisive call when you can't. Back to us in the Esther and Mordecai studio. What can we say about Esther chapter 2 if there isn't commentary on the motivation regarding the moral rightness or wrongness of Esther and Mordecai? What do we say? What can you at least take the Bible, take from the Bible today? Well, you can at least say this. We're bringing in all of the book of Esther now. God's purposes are not derailed by our past or present disobedience, intentional or ignorant. That's good news. God's purposes are not derailed by our past or present disobedience, intentional or ignorant. R.C. Sproul says, Truly the Lord is gracious and uses imperfect people to work out his perfect will. And we can say at least this as we consider all of Esther in our own lives. We've all sold out in some way, haven't we? Before we stand on our soapbox and be like, oh, Esther, oh, Mordecai, being like not very honouring of God, we've all capitulated to culture that we found ourselves in. We've all had moments of weakness, whether it be for self-preservation, potential promotion, We've all gone soft and played into a less obvious God witness, haven't we? Because that's what's in here, isn't it? Mordecai, he's like, don't tell them that you're one of God's people. And then you get 60 pastors preaching on the strategic sharing of your faith. That's not in there. It's just like Mordecai told Esther to keep a lid on it. Was that good? Was that bad? The text doesn't say it's not making that point. The point it's making is this, is that when you look around and when you see that church, or when you see that guy or that girl and you're questioning their Jesus allegiance and maybe their life is a little bit hypocritical and even, even when you yourself, you yourself don't have the guts to make a stand when you probably should, guess what? God's not absent. 
God's grace is great. There's no moment of, don't believe the devil's lies that God's just like, oh, there's gone and done. I'm done with you. Just, where's, your, where's your power? Giving you my Holy Spirit. You know, what's going on, guys? He's not doing that. He's not doing that. See, you can read between the lines and you can see, okay, there have been some ways in Esther and Mordecai they have failed and broken some of God's laws, but God didn't fail Esther. God was not absent. God's always working. God's always interacting and guiding things according to what he predestined, according to his purposes, to the counsel of his will. God is always staying true. God is always holy. God is always righteous. God is always pure. God who never lies. God who never tempts anyone. God who himself is never tempted by evil. No matter what Esther or Mordecai did, good nor bad, no matter what you are doing, good nor bad, God's counsel remains steadfast and he will still accomplish all of his purposes. What the enemy means for evil, God will make its end good. So remember, maybe there's some of you here. Maybe you're like, yep, I have not been walking with God. It's a miracle I'm even here. I don't know how my YouTube algorithm got me to click onto this video. You might not feel like you're working, walking with God, but God is walking with you. To quote another preacher, God's subtle and soft hand of providence doesn't leave our lives. He's always working through the circumstances of our lives. Even when we make bad decisions or bad decisions are made that get us in bad situations, God is still with us and working things out and working in us. This is one of the things that I love about the book of Esther. Last week I said Esther is a little bit like the book of Ruth. Yeah. Like there's the book of Judges in like the his, like the chronological read. There's Judges and there's this big commentary on all of God's people and it's going bad. You just like, oh, 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 I need to wash my hands after what I have a shower after reading the book of Judges. And then it's just like there's this little tiny book called Ruth. And you see God's faithful faithfulness in this beautiful woman's obedience and gospel character. You're like, oh, God's still doing stuff. It's great. Esther's like this little side story in the midst of this other big story, except it's a beautiful little compliment. It's a turning of the way around, isn't it? Because we've got this big narrative with Ezra and Nehemiah. They've returned to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple and the walls. Look at their faithfulness. Look at their obedience. And Esther is like this little flip, kind of like the book of Daniel. You know, you kind of expect Esther, she's got this position in the royal court with Mordecai. You're like, oh, I've been reading Daniel. I know how this is going to go. I've been reading like the chronological Bible reading plan. Daniel stands up. He's like, I'm not going to eat the food. I'm going to eat veggies. Daniel diet. That's going to trend in 2020. People are going to be losing weight and bragging about the Daniel diet, feeling, feeling healthy and spiritual. Daniel diet, you know, he's just like, and look, we'll learn your stuff, but we're not going to capitulate to your laws. Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to pray facing the window whenever I want. You make a new rule, I'll just keep doing it. Yeah, watch me be a boss for God. Sorry, that's, that's, not, that's just how I pictured Daniel if he was a rapper, maybe. Um, and then you read Esther, and it's just like, don't tell the king you're a Christian. Don't tell him you're one of God's covenant people. Just, just, 
Just keep a lid on it, Esther. And Esther's there, and it's just like, hey, Esther, do you want one night with the king? <laughs> and this is like, sure. You see, I, I love this complimentary background activity because I go, I think I resonate more with the book of Esther than I do with the book of Daniel, when I'm honest. Yeah? Like you read the book of Daniel and you're like, I'm inspired. Yeah, I'm going to stand up for what's wrong in this world. I'm going to sign that petition. Yeah. I'm going to like march and do the stuff. And when I'm in the, when I'm in the interview with my boss and doing the thing, I'm going to be like, I'm not doing that because that's against my faith. Ugh. And then you get to the moment and you're just like, oh, this is really hard and I don't want to get fired. So just like whatever you want. <laughs> Anyone felt that way? Anyone feel a little bit more like a Nesta than a Daniel right now in Esther 2? That's what I love about Esther. See, Mordecai and Esther in her situation, a little bit more relatable. Now, of course, take this into the whole picture of Esther. Esther, there is a big conversion moment for Esther. Mordecai, it turns around, it goes good. There's a reason that gets called Esther the book, because she's like, yeah, she is a boss. She's a legend. Queen Esther, amazing. There will be a sermon coming. Be like Esther. Right now, be reassured that God will never leave you nor forsake you despite how much you obey or not obey. Be reassured. See, I'm reminded from the book of Esther that life isn't neat and tidy, but God's power overcomes it. Motives aren't neat and tidy, but God's power overcomes it. See, stories of our motives and God's achievements. I mean, how many guys in just the West have gone to a church as a single young guy looking for a girl? That's, yeah, what's that motive? And then they meet Jesus and it's just like, I was looking for some love, but I found the light of the world. Yeah, God took that motive. It might not have been pure, but whoa, God doing God things. What about in your own life? Times where you just, you know, if I'm completely honest, you know, that, that new job, uh, the new house, the new lifestyle, the new thing that I did, it was completely selfish. I was just trying to please me, but whoa, I came across this person. I'm now doing this thing. I'm with this community, and whoa, I didn't expect God to take my twisted motivation and then somehow bring him glory through it. Whoa, God, incredible. See, I wrestle with this all the time. That's why I think I find so much comfort in Esther too. I wrestle with my motivations all the time, back and forth, back and forth. You know, just like, what am I, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I wanting to honor the Lord? There's a little bit inside of me. Do I need to put that to death more? Do I just go forward? And Esther's just like, there's, a, there's just such a sense of reassurance that even if I screw it ignorantly, I don't want to screw it intentionally, but even if I, both, doesn't matter. Even if I screw it, God over God's power overcomes it. Even if I or someone else makes a big boo-boo, God's power, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's plan is not thwarted if my actions are distorted. Isn't that good? Take the big picture of what God is doing in this world, reconciling all people to himself, making all things new. And part of us would like freak that out. You know, if you like forgive no, don't make that joke. That's too, too probably too close to home. For the, I'll tell you later, Josh. We'll laugh as pastors about that one. Um, but if the pressure is all on us, oh, that's a lot of pressure. But we can't screw it. God's just like, just come with me. Just like walk beside me. Like come to work with Dad Day. That's awesome. Even 
If our motives are distorted, God's purposes are not thwarted. This doesn't mean, though, that we, that we don't make any effort to walk in step with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. It doesn't mean that we don't seek to put sin to death. Put sin to death. Seek to be holy as God is holy. It doesn't mean that you stop taking Jesus seriously and flee from obedience because, ah, oh, I'll be right, God will figure it out. We do not continue to sin because God's grace abounds. Okay? It's not an excuse. We haven't understood the cross if you think it's a license to live as you want. But in talking about the cross, that's where this hope is, isn't it? For all of our screw-ups, for all of our regret, for all the things that have gone one way when they wish they would have gone another way, for all the times that we haven't quite done things right, we, we, we can look at the cross. This is, no, no one else has got this. This is, this is Christian only, right? There is hope. There is God at work. And I even love what God does with the cross. Jesus dies. Oh, no, that is not good, said the disciples. Family meeting. Jesus is dead now. All right, let's just catch up tomorrow. We'll just see how it goes. Good night. He did. Did he? Oh, he said something about this. I'm sure he did. Were you reading Isaiah? Oh, I can't remember. Just come back tomorrow. Second day. He's still dead. What are we going to do? Day three, Jesus is alive. He's alive. The resurrection from the dead. Like, is there anything that, is there a greater story that's going to give you more hope in this life than God who comes and he's just like, follow me, I'm the light of the world, come into radical, reconciled relationship with me, we'll be best mates forever in heaven, everything getting better, perpetual glory. And then he dies and then he comes back to life. He's like, yeah, proved it. Proved it. You want some more confidence? Came back to life. See, the Christian faith is built on the resurrection of Jesus. The Christian hope is built on the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ had not been raised, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by as by a man for as by a man came death by a man, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead like are you a christian here is christ in you god would say to you the spirit <clears throat> listen up christians listen up the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you dwells in you he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's worth singing about. <laughs> Isn't that confidence for all of life? In all the wins and the losses, in the courage and in the conviction of compromise, this is the life of the Christian. Philippians 3, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. At the start of the Christian journey, the start of a journey with Jesus, the start of new life with Jesus, 
this is like what happens. And this is we could we all have a version of this story if you're a follower of Jesus. You know, there's a there's us going, oh no, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I have been opposing God this whole time. And Jesus, in effect, says, yeah, you sinned. We both now know it. You see that cross? See the cross there? Yeah, logo for Christianity. Yeah, good branding, I reckon. See that cross? It shows you that you can be forgiven of that sin. Uh, You can be forgiven for the compromise and godlessness you've had for your whole life up to this point. And even after. See the cross? Do you want to receive that forgiveness? And for those of us that have responded to that invitation, we go, yes, 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 I'm turning from that life. And Jesus says, good. It's a gift. There you go. Believe this. You're in the clear now. You're forgiven now. The record is wiped. All done. We can start again. Get over here. Come on. Get over here. Get over here. Let's go. Come on. Enter into the purposes and plans and presence of God. Come on. Let's go. That's the Christian experience. That's at the start of the journey. Am I right? Anyone resonate with that? Just me. Okay. All good. What does the conversation keep looking like on a journey with Jesus? Oh, no. I've sinned. That was unintentional as I've been reading through the Bible in my daily devotions, I had no idea that that was actually opposing the will of God my whole life. Whoops. Or I've sinned. And if I'm honest with myself, that was intentional. That's not who I am. I've sinned. And on the journey of the Christian life, Jesus comes in. You say, mate, see that cross? It shows that you have been Forgiven for that sin. Forgiven for that compromise and that godlessness. Remember how we started? Remember that? Remember that initial conversation? You know, soon after we went to the beach, kablam, got baptized. It was awesome. Remember how we started? Completely cleansed. Deep clean. Like deep COVID clean. You know, deeper than that. So clean. Soul clean. Washed by my blood clean. Did you receive that? Come on, let's have a little reflection moment. Yeah, my brother, my sister. Did you receive that? Yeah, you did. And remember, it was a gift, wasn't it? You took it, and I cleared it all. I forgave it all. The the record wiped all done. Remember, we started again. I haven't gone anywhere. I've been here the whole time. Now, I know you're sorry for your sin. You've admitted it. Hear this again. I forgive you. Get back over here. Let's go. The start of the Christian journey is the picture of the ongoing walk of the Christian journey. God works good even with our mixed motives. And Jesus will always pick us back up when we realize our actions were out of line. See, life isn't neat and tidy, but God overcomes it. Romans 5, if while we were still sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. Life isn't neat and tidy, but God's power overcomes it. 
Where to from here? Well, I'm going to look to where the story is going. Keep coming back. Keep reading more of Esther. See, there is a change of heart for Esther and Mordecai coming, and it's awesome. And we can say that week, be like Esther. But today, hear this. Esther chapter 2. In the confusion of choice in a corrupt culture, in the distress of your disappointments of decisions that you've made, in the learning moments of your life when you've realized that your decisions have been less than ideal, God will take even your self-centered motives and place you in new opportunities of obedience. Regret from past actions of dishonor should not determine your present actions of walking with Jesus. God is near you. God is with you. And he's saying, get back over here. And as you do, rejoice anew. Rejoice in God through your Lord Jesus Christ, to whom you have received reconciliation. Let me pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are, I am blown away that we can't step outside of your grace. In all of our stumbling, in all of our shortfalls, in all the ways that we think we've completely blown it, you are still there, arms wide open, inviting us home. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that just feels far off. I pray that they would hear your voice. Maybe they have heard your voice today. God, give them the reassurance that they can take step back, steps back into your presence. Help them to look at the cross, to know that there is total forgiveness. The record is wiped clear. Jesus took away the guilt. He's taken it away so we don't have to keep trying to hold on to it. Bless us as a church family, I pray, Lord. Help us to keep running after Jesus, looking to Jesus. Help us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, the new life we chose in following Jesus. And change us from the inside out to walk in obedience and love with you, our good, good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.